This sermon, Take Courage, was preached by Derek Overstreet on Sunday, January 8, 2023 at Sovereign Grace Church. Well, good morning. If you're visiting with us, uh, my name is Derek. I am grateful that you are here. Uh, I love the group of people that you're here with. I love this church. I'm not just a pastor in this church. This is my church. I'm a member of this church. I'm learning and growing with the other members in this church. And as a member of this church, I'm glad that you're here with us. Would you open up your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 21? If you don't have a Bible, um, there, sh- there should be one in the, under the seat in front of you. Welcome to use that. Uh, we are back in the book of Acts. We, we have been preaching through Acts for over a year now. Um, I hope you are still very interested. I know that I am. Um, but we are back in the book of Acts. We have, I, I believe, including this sermon, we have roughly seven more sermons. And the chunks get a little bit bigger <laughs> uh, as we get toward the end of Acts. Uh, we could preach them in smaller chunks, but, but um, there is some natural uh, grouping here that, that serves best if you're just preaching through this book once. And so we are going to take on some bigger chunks. Today's text is long, and so we are used to standing up and reading the entire text together, uh, but this morning we are not going to do that. Um, but as you're turning to Acts 21, verse 27... Uh, this week, Tom and Tim and myself, we had the privilege of being on a Zoom call with uh, David and Jorge del Castillo. If that name sounds familiar to, to you, I hope it does. They, are the, they, they represent the pastoral team in our church in Santa Cruz, Bolivia. They planted it a couple years ago. Uh, we have a relationship with Bolivia. We have not only been down there, uh, but we have supported them uh, just a year and a half ago. We, 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 you generously gave toward their budget, and David just reminded us this week that, that that lasted almost a year. Well, we were on a Zoom call because about a week and a half, two weeks ago, I received an email from David that said, hey, our budget begins, our new budget begins in February, but until then, we have a bit of a shortfall. Would you be willing to help? And so uh, as a team, we talked. We took it to the financial review team, and we all agreed. We actually had this built into our budget as an unforeseen ministry opportunity. And so we were able to send them $1,500. So first, let me say, we couldn't do that to serve them and help them in that gospel mission unless it's for you and your generous giving. You, the church, this is a generous church. (laughs) I can't say that enough. And so now your generosity is touching the hearts and the lives of people in a different hemisphere. (laughs) Uh, And so uh, just allow that to draw your attention to the goodness and grace of God at work in your lives and at work in our church. Um, so we were able to not just say, hey, we're, this is what we're going to send you. Did I tell them how much we sent? We sent $1,500. Um, they were deeply grateful, but we were able to encourage them and get an update. And boy, I can't give it all to you now, but um, 
You know, we can remember as David and Jorge talked about the government and the, uh, the hostility um, there, when he talked about the culture, when he talked about the city shutting down because of citywide strikes and the impact that has on the people in their church financially. There was one point at the end when David just humbly said, there are so many things against us here. He meant the church. There are so many things, so many people against us. But that was followed up with this. But we know the Lord is at work. I think the team would agree that we witnessed a genuine gospel courage. A a grace-empowered resolve, if you will, to press into the mission even in the face of real danger and difficulty. That's what courage is. So would you pray for them? Would you pray for them? But I share that with you this morning because that is not limited to a country in South America. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever said to yourself, boy, it seems, honey, that so many things are against us right now. Every time we try and turn the corner, we're set back. Nothing is going as planned. Don and I, we, we, we have a situation that it just seems like everything is against us right now. I'm there. Are you there? Constant sickness, relational turmoil, cultural hostility. Maybe for you, it's financial drought. You think you might lose your job or you have lost your job. Maybe it's church troubles got a problem with your church or at least somebody in your church but the bottom line is it seems like everything is against you and your weary heart cries out Lord where are you your fragile faith privately wonders is it worth it is it worth it listen this morning I'm going to give you the answer for that right up front and I want to remind you as Christians, we, we live by faith in what is real, not in what we feel. You might feel as though everything is against you, but what we are going to look at today is something that is real. And regardless of how we feel, nothing is more real than the promise that anchors our text today. So please stand with me. Go all the way to the end of our text, chapter 23, verse 11. We're going to read this verse and this verse alone as we begin. After all that we are about to watch happen, happened, verse 11 says this, 
The following night, the Lord stood by him, that being Paul, and said, take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. You may be seated. Let's pray. Lord, we have already sung it. You are good. You are gracious. You love us, and that love has been shown to us and is continually shown to us in the person of, and work of your son, Jesus Christ. And so we now come to your word in the name of Jesus, knowing that you will be merciful You will grant us the grace we need to have ears that hear, to have the eyes of our hearts enlightened, and to be able to see and live according to what is real, and that is you, a sovereign, loving God who is for us and at work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul is having a really bad day in our text this morning. Everything we are going to find out, everything, and I do mean everything, is against him. Here's what we're going to see, and these are our points for those of you taking notes. First, we are going to watch as Paul is viciously slandered and assaulted And then he will be publicly rejected, and one even might say violently rejected for speaking truth. And then finally, we will see that he is violently threatened by leadership. So let's look at this text. And the idea here is that that we walk through this and get a sense for what was going on and happening to Paul. And I don't think it's going to be very hard for you to connect this to your own lives. But the first thing that we see in this story is that Paul is viciously slandered and assaulted. Look at verse 21, or chapter 21, verse 27 with me. It says, Now when the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. And then all the city was stirred up and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered Paul to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers 
because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people followed, crying out, away with him. You know, that kind of sounds a little bit like our Savior, doesn't it? Away with him. Paul is in Jerusalem. We catch up with him, if you remember when we left off before Christmas, in Jerusalem. It's Passover. And what that means is that the city was swarming with visitors who came to worship at the temple. There there would have been people everywhere. If you remember in the previous passage that Tom preached, Paul got some disturbing news when he arrived in Jerusalem. Luke reveals in verse 21 of chapter 21 that there were some there accusing him of opposing Moses, of opposing the law, of opposing the temple, of really saying, hey, you are not allowed to practice Jewish customs. Well, that's, that, that was a lie. <laughs> that, that, that is not what Paul was preaching at all. He wasn't opposed to Jewish customs. He was opposed to anyone finding forgiveness and salvation through those customs. That's what Paul was opposed to because that would be another gospel. And to prove his position, as we saw in the last section in verses 22 through 26, Paul took a Nazareth vow. He took it over Passover with some other Jewish men. And really, in a nutshell, Paul said, okay, I'll abstain from cutting my hair. I'll abstain from alcohol. I'll abstain from eating certain foods. I'll abstain from unclean things for a period of time to show you that I'm not opposed to the Jewish customs in and of themselves. Paul was being a Jew to the Jew is what he was doing. And so now in our passage, we find Paul, he's at the temple worshiping. And once again, he is accused. But more than accused, he is attacked by this group of Jews. Look again what it says in verse 28. It says, somebody begins to yell, this is the man, Paul, who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law in this place. He even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. Why did they say that? Well, Luke tells us, for they had previously seen Trophimus with, from the Ephesian with him in the city, and they supposed, they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. So the charge here, the accusation is that, that Paul was teaching against the Jews, that Paul was teaching against the law. They were wrong. And their accusations here in verse 28 and 29, well, basically it's slander. (laughs) It's gossip. They are spreading lies about Paul and his motivations and, and what he is doing. And by the way, this is not the primary point here, but it is a worthy point. And that is that gossip and slander is destructive. That's what we are going to see here. Their gossip and slander of Paul was dangerous. It almost cost Paul his life. James 3 says the tongue is a fire, a blazing fire, full, full of poison. I'm grateful that 
and are equipped. You know that time of the year, every February, where we bring all the community groups together on a Wednesday night right here? Get ready. If your community group leader hasn't told you about that yet, they should. <laughs> but we're going to bring everybody. And one of the things we're going to touch, one of the things we're going to talk about is the tongue, speech, reckless speech, redeemed speech. It's important. And we see even in this text, their slander, their gossip about Paul almost cost him his life. Now, you'll notice they also accuse Paul of bringing this man from Ephesus, Trophimus, a Gentile, into the temple. Verse 29 says they accuse him of that because they saw Paul with this man at some time in the city, so they just supposed that when they saw this Gentile in the temple, well, Paul must have brought him. And so they are up in arms about this. And this is a serious accusation. The temple had two sections, and one of those sections was known as the court of the Gentiles. And if you were a Gentile, you were welcome to go in there. But, it, but you could not go into any other part. In fact, if you did, death sentence. How much more for somebody who smuggles a Gentile into the temple? And so this is a serious accusation. And so in verse 30, look what it says. Then all the city was stirred up and the people ran together and they seized Paul. Why? Because he's against Jewish traditions. He prohibits them. And he brought a Gentile into the temple. No, he didn't. They seize him. They drag him out of the temple they drag him outside the gates, and they were seeking to kill him. They wanted to kill him. Paul is in the temple. Just, just imagine for a moment, okay? You're listening to my preaching. You're worshiping, and you turn around, and there is a mob crashing through those double doors back there, and they're coming for you. <laughs> they're coming for you. That's what happens here. Paul's in the temple. What do you do in the temple? You worship. And suddenly this mob viciously attacks him, drags him out of the temple with all intentions to kill him. Their attitude was, no one brings a Gentile into my temple and lives. Not happening on my watch. In verse 31 through 36, as we saw, we see the interesting providence of God. Because the Roman soldiers see the ruckus and they realize we gotta go, we gotta go rescue this dude. And so the Roman commander goes, who ironically is a Gentile, and rescues Paul. Because that's the beginning of his day. He's in the temple worshiping, and he is viciously attacked. Notice how the story goes. The second thing we see is that Paul was rejected for speaking the truth. Notice in verse 37, it says, as Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, 
may I say something to you? And the tribune is just the, he's the commander. He's the commander of the cohort. May I say something to you? And he said, do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian? So this guy thought maybe, maybe this guy, maybe he's in trouble because he's that insurrectionist that we've been looking for. There was somebody on their most wanted list. This could be a valuable prisoner. And Paul replied, I am a Jew. I'm not Egyptian. I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people, and there was a great hush. He addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. This is amazing to me. I thought about this. This This crowd has tried to kill Paul. They want to still kill him. He has already been terribly beaten. One commentator just said, I I don't even know. Actually, one commentator uh, talked about some who believe that there must be some, that this might not necessarily be that true, simply for the fact that Paul was so beaten, could he have even spoken? <laughs> but it's amazing because he is, wants to face these people and speak to them. What would you have done? I'd have cursed them, jumped on my motorcycle, and rode off into the sunset. Paul wants to talk with them. And so after clearing his name with the tribune, Paul begs the officer to speak to them. And when he does, he shares his gospel testimony in a way that connects with their Judaism. Once again, Paul is being a Jew to the Jew here. In, the, in verses three through five, in essence, he says, hey guys, I am a Jew too. Notice that's how he starts. Not only is he talking to them in Hebrew, but in verse 3, he begins by saying, I'm a Jew. Paul identifies with this murderous mob by boasting, if you will, in his Jewishness. Like you, I'm a Jew. I'm a Jew jealous, or jealous, zealous for God and his ways. Like you, I'm a Jew who knows the law. These were his people. He used to hang with some of these people, most likely. He says, just like you want to kill me, at one time, I wanted to kill those like me. That's why he he goes on and he talks about being on the road to Damascus and he, he persecuted the way. He says, yeah, that was me. I'm that guy, remember? If you were there, I was the guy standing there holding the coats of those murdering Stephen. In a sense, I I get you. But then, the second part of his testimony is that Jesus changed everything. That's what he goes on to say in verses 6 through 11. Look what he says, in fact, in verse 6. As I was on my way and drew, you know this testimony, but as I was on my way and drew near to Damascus about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? 
And he said to me, I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And now those who were with me saw the light, but didn't understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus, and there you'll be told all that is appointed for you to do. I was a Jew like you, but Jesus changed everything. I met Jesus on the road to Damascus. Paul, what changed Paul wasn't theological enlightening. He didn't change because he hit a ceiling as a Pharisee. He, he, he didn't change because he was fed up with how the temple was being run. He was changed by Jesus. Jesus came to him. Jesus revealed himself to him. Jesus saved him. In other words, Jesus is responsible for all that he is doing right now. He wouldn't be doing what he is doing unless it was for unless it was if it wasn't for Jesus. And so he goes on in this third section and he says, "So now I have this new purpose. In verses 12 through 16, he talks about how Ananias, by the way, a devout Jew, notice in verse 12, and one Ananias, a devout man according to the law. Yes, your law, well spoken of by Jews just like you. God used a respected Jew, a respected a man respected by people like you to confirm my salvation in Jesus and to direct my calling to preach Christ. Isn't that our testimony? Where were you before you believed in Jesus? Whatever you were doing, you were zealously living against God. In a sense, you were persecuting him, denying him with your thoughts and deeds and words. But what happened? Did you figure it out? Did you determine this isn't going to work if I'm going to raise a family? I need a new perspective. No, like Paul, Jesus changed everything. Jesus came to you in the message of the gospel. He revealed himself to you in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he saved you according to the purpose of God. Jesus. That's our testimony. Paul's testimony was our. None of us would be here if Jesus didn't change everything. We wouldn't have the hope that we have today if Jesus didn't change everything. We wouldn't have the hope of, of the future if Jesus didn't change everything. 
I love reading books from time to time about serious tragedies that, ple- that, that, that unbelievers go through to see what it is that they cling to. If you've never read the book, A Beautiful Boy, go read it. It, it, it is this expose of, of a father who doesn't even believe God exists and he's trying to do everything for his son that he can't and I want to reach into the book and grab him. It's a true story. And say, your only hope is Jesus. We were like that. We had no hope because we didn't have Jesus. All we had is what this world could give to us. But Jesus changed everything including whatever it is that makes you wonder, everyone, everything is against me right now. Lord, where are you? Jesus changes how you think in that moment. Not only can we relate to Paul here, we can learn from him for our own evangelism, for our own Christian relationships. Did you notice in this testimony, this is a mob, remember, that wants to kill him. Paul isn't afraid. He's courageous in speaking to them. He didn't excoriate them for their slander and violence. He's calm. He isn't offended by them. He sticks to his calling. Do you see what he's doing here? He sticks to his calling. He trusts in God's providence. Listen, Paul knows he's been spared by the tribune grabbing him and arresting him. He also knows that's God's doing. And he knows why he's there. It's not because everyone is against him. It's to preach Christ to the Gentiles. I love what Derek Thomas says about this. He says, Paul was governed by greater concerns than his ethnic or racial background. He was now, first of all, a missionary to the Gentiles. God had given him a single purpose to witness to Gentiles of the saving love of Jesus Christ for sinners and to call them to repentance and faith. The concerns of the gospel came before his natural concerns for his race or country. He had learned to put these things secondary to his primary concern, which was to preach the gospel and make it known to the world. Listen, how relevant is that for us today? Living in such a polarized society, I I pray the Lord convicts us here. In the heat of the moment, whatever that heat is, be courageous. Stay calm and stick to your calling. Remember your call. Remember that God is always with you. He is always in control fully. And yes, he has a redemptive purpose in your situation. You might not be able 
to articulate it in the moment. But there is a redemptive purpose. Paul has one more thing to say as he addresses his enemies. And when he says this, it drives them into another violent frenzy. Notice verse 17. He says, when I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. So here's Paul's testimony. I am a Jew like you. I was zealous for God like you. But Jesus changed me. He saved me and gave me a new purpose, a new direction for my zeal, to be a, to be a witness to the Gentiles for him. And in the holy ground of the temple itself, God told me that you would not accept my testimony about Jesus and my message about the salvation he brings. Do you see what Paul's saying here? One, he's saying you're not part of God's plan, at least not on the track you're going. The Lord testified to me that, that people like you would reject my message. But look what else he says at the very end in verse 21. In essence, he says, you know this ministry of Gentiles that people have a problem with? God is behind it. He saved me. Yes, I'm a Jew, but Christ saved me and changed everything, including my purpose. And my purpose is to bring Christ to the Gentiles. And this is more than the crowd can stand. Paul must die. Look at verse 22. This is how they respond. Up to this word, that is up to the point of verse 17 through 21, up to this word they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and fleeing dust in the air, this you know, that, that all, by the way, that all has cultural meaning, but you can just imagine the scene. I mean, it's like, who's the character on Peanuts that travels around in a big cloud, right? I mean, that, the cartoons fighting and rolling around and, I mean, there is a scene here that just, you know, if it was our day, we wouldn't jump in and help anybody. We'd just be standing around with our iPhones. Oh, do you get, you getting that? You getting that on video? Yeah, I think that guy's about to die. Oh, get it, get it, get it. Right? But it wasn't time for Paul to die. In verses 24 through 29, we see that once again, the Gentile tribune rescues Paul from the Jewish mob. They want to beat him. 
And this time, though, it's not just the Jewish mob. You'll notice that in, uh, you'll notice in, um, uh, look at verse 24, the tribune ordered him to be brought to the barracks saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out what they were shouting against him for. In other words, Paul's been speaking in Hebrew. (laughs) These, These soldiers don't understand any of that. All they know is, this guy has done something. We've got to protect him from these people. Well, we'll flog it out of him because we can't be having this in our city. So we'll beat him and we'll find, we'll get to the point of what's really going on here. So they do, they, they try and do that. Of course, this is that famous time when Paul pulls the Roman citizen card. Oh man, thank God for the common grace of God. There's a law that says a Roman citizen can't be flogged. So it's the providence of God, the common grace of God that once again spares Paul from a severe beating. But it's not over. This day is not over. This 24-hour period is not over, I should say, because there's one more thing that happens here. He's violently threatened by leadership. We need to remember that um, uh, the, the, uh, the, the Tribune here, um, like I said, they have no idea what's going on with Paul. They don't know the real deal. So they take him, into cap- they, they take him back to the barracks, They want to try and find out what's going on. And now the very next day, they decide, okay, we'll take him before the religious council. So notice what happens in verse 23. It says, and looking intent, this is the next day, verse 30, but on the next day, they took him to the chief priests and all the council. And then notice verse chapter 23, verse 1. It says, and looking intently at the council, Paul said, brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by to strike him on, who stood by to strike him on the mouth. And then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, whitewashed wall. In other words, you hypocrite, you self-righteous hypocrite. Are you sitting to judge me according to law? And yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? And those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, for it is written, and he quotes Exodus 28, 22 here, you shall not speak, excuse me, 22, 28, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now, I don't know what's going on in Paul's mind here. What we do know is that he pops off to the high priest And for that, he gets popped in the mouth. And whether his response in verse 5 is cutting sarcasm or genuine humility, he seems to be quoting scripture, perhaps this is a kind of a a bit of an apology, I I don't know. Is he being guided by the the, the word here? I I don't know. That's not clear. But one thing that is clear is that Paul can't catch a break, (laughs) And I submit to you, Paul is growing very, very weary. I think it's important to remember that Paul is not a robot. He's a human being 
He's just like you and I. Luke doesn't necessarily say he's weary here, but we, one can only imagine. He's just like us. He has his limits. He has his doubts. Some of the men in this council, they were probably his buddies at one time. Now they want to kill him. He came to Jerusalem to share Christ. He's following the Lord. This is his mission. And nothing in the last two days has went his way. He's been slandered. He's been attacked. He's been arrested. He's been rejected. He's been assaulted. He's been threatened. And one after the other, wherever he goes, whether it's the Jewish mob or now it's the tribune, somebody wants to hurt him. The greatest thing God has used to save his life right now is that he's been under arrest the whole time so they can shuffle him off to the barracks if it gets too bad. But Paul never gives up. He's mission-minded. He believes in the power of the Spirit. And he knows his life has been saved for the glory of God. So whatever his motivation in this moment, what he does next allows him to live another day to preach Christ. Notice verse 6. It says, now when the people perceived that, or when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees, this is the council that, that he was before, and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, and this is brilliant on Paul's part, brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. So a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply, we find nothing wrong in this man. Could you imagine, Paul? Oh, now you find nothing wrong with me? <laughs> And a big melee ensues because the tribune, once again, they had to grab Paul out of their midst because they feared he would be torn to pieces. That, that's gladiator language. The resurrection obviously is central to the gospel. It's God's stamp of approval that not only vindicates Christ as the Son of God, but it defeats death. And so the, 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 the no resurrection, no salvation. And Paul makes this tense situation about what Jesus did, not about a set of rules or his opinion on something, but about the gospel of Jesus Christ. He turned these guys' attention towards an aspect of the gospel that he knew that they had a differing opinion on. But he made it about Christ and him crucified. Not his own opinion or a set of rules. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, being a part of God's family is not about following or looking like all the people in this room. It's not about doing all the right things. You don't have to homeschool your kids to know Jesus. You don't have to dress a certain way to know Jesus. Yes, you can ride motorcycles and truly know Jesus. Jesus. 
you know what you need to know? You don't have to buy into a set of rules. Oh, you will, because the Spirit of God will compel you to, as he compels you to live for the glory of his uh, God. You just need to know that Jesus changes everything. His death, his life, his death, and his resurrection change everything. To believe that you are a sinner who needs everything changed and that Jesus is the Savior, he is the changing one, and believe that. Faith in him. Rest in him for your Hope. That, that, that's what we're called to. That's the means by which God saves sinners. So don't think you've got to be someone or be like someone or do certain things. Is obedience an important part of Christianity? Yes, but our obedience is motivated by the grace of the gospel. It's not so that we might get the grace of the gospel. Our sanctification flows from our salvation in Jesus Christ. Our sanctification, that is how we live in our pursuit of holiness, it does not lead to our salvation. Back to Paul, the religious leaders obviously divide on the veracity of the resurrection. Um, He's rushed out once again, like we said. The tribune is concerned that he will be shredded to pieces. And so our text, this situation ends with Paul safely back in the barracks at the end of verse 10. And then I want you to notice what Luke says in verse 12. He starts it with, when it was day. Why do I draw your attention to that? Because that reminds us that everything that we just saw happened in a period of 24 to 36 hours. What a day for Paul. As he sat in the barracks under arrest, he must have been not only relieved, but he must have been thinking to himself, everything is against me. Perhaps he thought, I should have listened to the guys and not come to Jerusalem. I have no doubt that Paul sat in that barrack saying, Lord, where are you? I don't know if I can bear this. Everything is against me. Everyone is against me. I have no doubt that Paul was perplexed, that he was wearied, that he was discouraged. And here's why I say that. One, he's human just like us. Two, It's implicit in verse 11. Look at verse 11. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said. Before we get to what he said, think about that. The Lord came to Paul to minister to him, to encourage him, to spur him on in the mission. The Lord knew that Paul needed to be encouraged. 
The Lord knows what we need, doesn't he? And he gives us exactly what we need when we need it. And on this day, Paul has been arrested, assaulted, beaten, threatened, punched in the mouth, slandered. And the Lord, how merciful, how kind, how loving. This is such an intimate picture. The Spirit of God comes to Paul and ministers to him. And this is what he says. Take courage. Take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Paul, I'm in this. I got plans for you. And that violent mob, that Roman commander, none of them can thwart my plan for you. Take courage. There's more to come. I'm sending you to Rome. I'm sending you to the highest of highs to proclaim my name to the Gentiles. Nothing's going to stop me. Take courage. Today, this promise belongs to us in Christ. Oh, it might be different. I doubt anybody here is going to Rome. But we're called as well, particularly in those moments when we think everything is against us, to take courage. And our application, I, I don't know if I've heard from some of you how helpful the, some of the handles last week for the application, just so clear and, and so practical. Well, the application is not like that this morning. <laughs> Intentionally. The application this morning, I, I believe, is described in one word, bask. Yeah, that's right, I said bask. Bask. Bask in verse 11. I looked up some cinnamons, cinnamons. <laughs> I looked up some synonyms and related phrases for basking. Just listen to this. Revel. Luxuriate. Wallow. Delight. Take pleasure. Rejoice. Glory. Indulge oneself. Enjoy. Relish. Savor. Lap it up. In an informal way, get a kick out of it. Get a thrill out of it. Get a charge from it. Bask. We all have moments and days and weeks and seasons where it seems that everything and everyone is against us and the Lord is not with us. However, take courage Christian, bask in this promise in God's sovereign love for you. Bask in this promise that, that we see fleshed out in other pages of the scriptures, like Hebrews 13, 5, that says, I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. 
Or Philippians 1.6 that says, the good work that I began in you, I will bring to its completion. Or that wonderful passage in Romans 8 that says, if I did not give, if I did not spare my own son for you, how will I not give you all that you need? Bask in these promises that are outworkings of take courage. Take courage, Christian, because I have promised you in Hebrews 4.16 that when you come in the name of my son, Jesus Christ, your high priest, who I will not turn away, indeed, I cannot turn away, what that means for you when you come in his name is that you can approach my throne and find mercy, meaning you will not be turned away, and grace, that is sufficient, even when it seems that everything is against you. Well, maybe it is, but I am for you. And if I am for you, then who can be against you? Not even the gates of hell. No doctor's report. No relational struggles. Nothing. Nothing. The Lord is with you because His Spirit is in you, because Christ has saved you. He's working in you, He's working for you, He's working through you with an unwavering and an undying love. Bask in the promise. Bask in the promise of verse 11. You know, we went to verse 11 first because we all kind of have our own story, right? in 21, 27 through 23, 10. And it's imperative that we see that through the lens of verse 11. I don't know where you are this morning. Maybe you are, yeah, I'm, I feel like right now everything's against me. Bask in this promise. Maybe life is going good right now and you feel like everything and everybody is for you. Bask in this promise to prepare for that day when you won't be in that camp. As Charles Spurgeon said on this promise on verse 11, if you don't need this promise just now, (laughs) you may very soon. So take hold of it now. Take hold of it today. It's from God for you in Christ.